Hello, my name is Kevin, and I'm joined by my wife and co-host, Mary. Hello out there. Welcome to the Growth-Minded Marriage. After 15 years together, three kids, and the actualization of our dream life, we know that our continued growth together is the only way to stay consistent in our happiness. This podcast was born from that realization. The Growth Mindset is a powerful tool accessible to everyone, so however you found us, you are welcome here. We are committed to being authentic while we share our transitions, challenges, and defining moments, and we hope to connect with others who find themselves on a similar path. In this episode, you will hear Kevin describe what he does for a living and how his work-from-home career, which started at age 11, has developed through cross-country moves, quitting his dream job, being married to me, and having kids. He also discusses where he sees his work going in 15 years and the methodology he is using now to secure his ability to capitalize on future opportunities. We hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, please find a way to connect with us. Ready? All right, let's grow. Happy anniversary. (laughs) Oh, darn it. Got it in first. (laughs) That was funny. Uh, We just got back from a very yummy lunch. Thanks for asking. I'll let you know what I had. What did did you have? It sounds like it could have been delicious. (laughs) Oh, gosh. If you know me well, you would know that my first question to any major event is, oh, what'd you eat? (laughs) So there's this delicious stuffed shrimp avocado salad at this restaurant in Kansas City called El Patron, and it was delicious. We haven't been there for a while, certainly not since the quarantine. We did eat inside, but it was very nicely social distanced, and I felt comfortable, which was good. So, And if you're interested, I had a glass of water with a <laughs> slice of lemon. <laughs> Couldn't afford his meal as well. So. No, had to get one. Hers smelled delicious, though. <laughs> I didn't share. Yes, we did share. We split it. And then we got, I got another entree and Kevin got another entree. I couldn't even basically eat my second one. So he's very excited to have that for lunch tomorrow when I'm at work, which see, it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. little sharing circle. Yeah. So we are here today to record Kevin's career. Dun, dun, dun. He's very nervous. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable for me to talk about myself like this. I mean, you're talking about yourself in all the other episodes, babe. Yeah, I know. But this is all about me. He's a little nervous. We've kind of stopped and started a couple times already, but you're settling down. Yeah. Okay. I haven't fainted yet. <laughs> okay. So I realize that no one knows how old you are or what you actually do for a living. So why don't you shed some light? Okay. I am 37 years old and I buy and sell art and antiques for a living. All right. Different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably why I'm a little nervous about talking about it. Yeah. Because that's pretty much the initial reaction I get from most people. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this since I was 11. Mm-hmm. And it's always not been normal or uh-huh. been mainstream. So I've always kind of been a little guarded and protective about it. Yeah. Just because, especially when I was young, I didn't really want to answer the questions. And I don't know. I guess that that's sort of carried with me throughout my adult life now, too. So when you think about talking about what you do, what emotions come up? Like, what are the feelings? I think it's more of like a just 
my childhood self kept it like a secret for so long that now it's just like, well, you've been doing this forever. Like you're not going to now then tell everybody in the world about your life. Yeah. You know, I was a kid who got picked on a lot and, you know, I just, I knew I was never going to fit in, but I just worked really, really hard to not stand out. And now I would say that's pretty polar opposite of where I am now. But since this has been a continuation from that point in my life to now, that it's, you know, there's still some carryover. Yeah. When we were first trying to sit and record these conversations, Kevin just was not very into talking about it. And I had known that you were picked on when you were younger about certain aspects but I never, I guess, realized that you were picked on about the antiquing that you did. I didn't realize that you told anyone or that anyone would know. And now I feel like your career is such a point of pride, at least for me. Like, I love what you've been able to do through your career. And I think you feel that way as well. So it's just like a polar mm-hmm. opposite emotion as an adult that yeah, we've been moving through as we're trying to record this podcast, the childhood emotions that are coming up, which a lot of our growth journey recently, at least for me, has been realizing all of the shadow work that comes from your childhood. So I'm sure that will be a future episode, but we are going to move through because Kevin's career so impacts our life now and what we're able to do and how we've been able to harness this freedom of time. So I know that it's really important to share what he does and how he does it because, you know, if we're looking to make connections, then they need to understand your career. All right. Let's rip the Band-Aid off then. Yeah. Well, so we are going to try to take you all who are listening from his 11-year-old self to his 37-year-old self, somewhat briefly stopping at some high points so that you can kind of get a picture of who Kevin is in this aspect of his life. Why don't you tell them, Kevin, the beginning? I know some of this story, and I've learned from previous episodes not to put words in your mouth. So oh. <laughs> now I don't know what to say. Uh-huh. Now I'm not leading you in. Uh-huh. So walk us through a little bit of what your parents thought about this career choice or this passion of yours, and then, you know, maybe walk us through high school, through college. Mm-hmm. Um, this has always been something that like, I've always been really passionate about doing. I was really good at it early on and I felt like I wanted to make it my career from a very early age. From 11. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, probably not at 11, but but definitely by the time I was in high school, Mm -hmm. I had mentioned uh, several times that I wanted to drop out of high school and do this full time. And, you know, my parents were not the risk takers that I was. And they always try to steer me into more predictable career path. So I ended up going to college thinking that I was going to be a teacher, which is kind of what they were encouraging me to do because they thought, hey, if you really want to do this, this would be the best of both worlds. You could have a stable job with insurance. Then you'd be able to do this on like the weekends and in the summers. So Mm -hmm. you could do both. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, except... um, you know, I ended up student teaching and learned that I just absolutely hated it. Mm-hmm. Not for you. No, not for <laughs> me at all. So shortly thereafter, I ended up having to take an art history class and really connected with the professor. She introduced me to a master's program where I could get a degree in essentially art business in New York City, which is then what I ended up going to do. Yeah. And the degree was from? 
Christie's Auction House. It was from an affiliate of Christie's Auction House called Christie's Education. And if anyone is going to fact check the credibility of my degree, it was substantiated by the New York Board of Regents. So it was real. Oh, I don't think anyone's concerned that you've made this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in case, thank yeah, you. Yeah, well, you already called into question the 11-year-old business idea. So <laughs> just making yeah. sure that I provide plenty of data. <laughs> yeah, so the way I remember that story is Kevin had a really influential art history teacher, which was the first art history class he'd ever taken. And he had to take it because he switched majors out of education and into history and then subsequently art history double major, correct? Uh, or minor. Yeah, I ended up actually getting a triple minor. but Oh, yeah, that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> I never wanted to actually leave college. Uh-huh. Yeah, I could have graduated early. I'm like, no, I'll just stay. Yes. Kevin had an awesome college experience. That wasn't quite my reality, but I met Kevin right around this time um, going into our senior year of college. He knew that he was going to pursue art history in some way. And then in that first year of a relationship, he was accepted to this master's program in New York City. So he knew he'd be going there for graduate school. And I knew that I was going to be staying in my home state for graduate school. So we were long distance over this time. We were long distance for five years, actually, through our whole dating relationship. And you had an awesome time in New York, right? You loved it. It was love the program. uh Uh-huh. Yeah, love the program. Finished right when Lehman Brothers collapsed, though. Mm-hmm. So kind was, of bad timing. Yeah, it was bad timing, unfortunately, for a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Ended up being a good opportunity for me because I was a cheap kid coming right up out of college. So I ended up landing my dream job at Christie's, the auction house now. Mm-hmm. And I got a job as a specialist in American furniture and folk art, mm-hmm. which would have been like the absolute pinnacle of what my childhood self would have thought about what you could do mm-hmm. in this career. Yeah. So describe a little bit of what you actually were doing, because I only know because I know you, but this is such a specific world. So give a little peek into what you actually did on a weekly basis or daily basis yeah so i got to go and look at really really expensive toys mm-hmm. old things yeah. is what he means by toys right and then i had to play with them too and then i would do all the cataloging and then write you know historical analysis of these things that were going to be sold for many many zeros mm-hmm. so a deep and- dive into the history of each item you would create a description and then insert that into a catalog, an auction catalog that mm-hmm. they would then pass out during the auction or before the auction. Yeah, before correct? the auction to mm-hmm. get prospective people interested. And then obviously it helped coordinate with, you know, prospective buyers and, mm-hmm. you know. He I, got to hobnob it is what he's saying. Yeah. I think the coolest thing that I used to get to do is wealthy people would let pe- museums borrow their stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to go to the museum to look at their stuff and I just like pop over the velvet curtains and ropes and things mm-hmm. and people would be like, oh my goodness, he's not <laughs> supposed to be on that side. <laughs> you felt like a real rebel. Yeah, I felt like a rock star. <laughs> In the museum. Yeah, like a museum badass. Uh-huh. Well, maybe that's what attracted me to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I would hope not. <laughs> During this time, Kevin was taking me to my first museum visit. So I don't know that mm-hmm. I was the one thinking you're a rock star, but yeah. I certainly liked your know-how and being shown around New York City. Mm-hmm. You also crossed a couple ropes, but that was just because you were klutzy. <laughs> Full of the merry whoopsies. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, okay, so you were working your dream job in New York City. Fast forward a bit of time, I get my first job, which is in the suburbs of Kansas City, and we make a decision to part ways to break up. And it was we, her decision. <laughs> we decide that you know, just we can't foresee a future where we're ever going to be in the same state. So that feels like maybe things aren't going to work out. So we break up, which was not the first time we broke up. And then not the first time she broke up with me. <laughs> you don't need to be so specific. I'm self-deprecating at this point. <laughs> and then we had a real chance encounter, really, over New Year's Eve of 2008. And we ended up getting back together on that night. And for the next you know, six months, we were trying to hatch a plan on how we were ever going to end up in the same state, which really meant that one of us was going to have to leave a job we really, really like. Uh-huh. And why don't you talk about how you made that decision or how? Oh, we... so you just spoiled it, I guess. <laughs> you know, sorry, guys. I'm the one who left. <laughs> uh, you know what? It was an easy choice at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, how so? I, like I said, it was my dream job for that moment of my life. And very quickly, I realized that that wasn't going to be my dream job forever. Mm -hmm. I always liked being an entrepreneur and the idea of like being in control of my own destiny and everything else. And in that environment at that moment, it was just so obvious because, you know, I watched maybe three rounds of layoffs during my tenure there. And it was just really, really hard to continue to give my best, most productive years to a company that I just felt like was just going to kick me to the curb when it was either convenient for them or the moment in which I needed that job more than anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really, really long hours. It was flying to Philadelphia and I would know like that morning, Mm -hmm. which I loved at the time, but like that sort of instability would be really, really challenging. Yeah. And also like I knew that just like the corporate culture just didn't fit with me. Mm-hmm. I just was never going to be able to climb to the top. I, I just didn't have that bug. You know, I, well, I love that job because I got to play with toys. Is how I felt like it was. Mm-hmm. But I really just wanted to play with my toys and my, my own business and try really hard to make sure that everyone could be successful. Mm-hmm. And just kind of be humble about it. And in a corporate world with all the bureaucracy and everything else, just that's just not how you play the game. Yeah, and you knew that you weren't going to be playing the game long term. So right. why stay here any longer than you need to? Yeah, I'm in my later mid twenties. You know, if I'm going to take a risk in my life, now's the time to do it. You know, I don't have kids. I don't have a family. I've got very little holding me back. Mm-hmm. You know, worst case scenario, I just have to go and find another job. So the risk just seemed pretty low and it just seemed like it's never going to be an easier time to try it than it is right now. And the it you're trying is leaving what you thought was your dream job. And did you know that you were going to start what we, what you have now? You know what? I never thought I was going to get a job at the auction house when I went to school there. What I went in there thinking is that I was going to take what I learned and then start a business where I would be selling art and antiques. Mm-hmm. And this would just be training for that. And, you know, then I end up getting this great job and it's just like, well, wow, I'm at the top of the pyramid. Well, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. So the decision to leave New York City for Kansas City basically solidified that you were going to go back to your original 
plan A, which was to start your entrepreneurial venture yes. and to start a business in Kansas City buying and selling antiques using the knowledge you got from Christie's education. Right. Yes. That's what I remember you doing. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of other specific memories. I feel like I was working a lot of hours and you were working a lot of hours without a lot of overlap. You know, our worlds didn't overlap as much. Yeah, I think back then we were both very, very invested in what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was coming from my job in New York and that I was working, you know, 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a problem with that. And enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. I remember working about as hard and not being upset about it either. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I didn't we really happy. feel like work until taxes came. Then it felt like work. Yeah. Although it would be likely interesting to hear the next 10 years of your business, I think what I really want you to share is these past four years. How okay. long have you lived here? Seems like forever. If you moved here in 2009, and it's, oh, it's only been 11 years. 11 okay, years. So whatever the math is, the past, let's call it four years of your business, mm -hmm. you've really been honing and fine-tuning your productivity, your efficiency, and other various words you could insert here. Yeah. And this has been spurred on, as we said in the previous episodes, when Kevin decided to stay home with the kids and be the primary caretaker and also attempt to run this business. Yeah. So I think that journey is extremely interesting and also it makes you very unique, just the passion and the drive you had to do both and do them so well and do them creating a lot of happiness for yourself. So I didn't know if, what you want to share on that or... Um, well, I guess I probably should talk about what I was doing before. Okay, uh, yes. So like the first iteration of my business when I moved here, I honestly felt like I was a treasure hunter and I was going absolutely everywhere. You may or may not remember, you know, I'd travel hundreds of miles to look for an opportunity. I'd go to like every crappy antique shop. A no, buying opportunity yeah, is what you were looking for. I, something special that no right. one else had I was going to find something that was going to basically give us instant retirement. Mm -hmm. I'd go to, you know, three or four auctions a weekend. I'm scouring through every single public sale listing. I'm going to 20 to 30 things every week and just like spinning my wheels constantly. Mm -hmm. Was the business profitable? You've always been profitable, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it was just very, very time consuming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a result of searching and searching and searching, I kind of built kind of a small empire where I just had so much stuff I was selling mm -hmm. and all these venues I was selling in. The first big thing after we had kids and it was just getting to the point where I just couldn't do it any longer was that I just needed to strip it all back down and really kind of do a deep dive into figure out like what I can do and what is actually even making me money. Because mm -hmm. at that point, I just didn't really need to ask that question. Mm -hmm. and you knew that, money was coming in. You weren't for sure from which avenues. Or, right. And, and it, it was, was, I just, you know, time wasn't an issue. So mm -hmm. just like all these things were fun and it would seem like it was just part of the same machine and they mm -hmm. were just different gears that got me to where I needed to go. But now it's just like, gosh, it's just like, I can't do all this anymore. At that point, I stopped doing all the stuff that wasn't terribly profitable. I did a really deep search and stripped off basically all the retail locations. We got rid of the shop that I had mm -hmm. and just basically went straight to online sales and just a couple of other meaningful opportunities. Mm -hmm. And with that, I also targeted how I was searching. I wasn't blindly looking under every rock. I began really 
being much more targeted and like, I have to wait for a meaningful opportunity. And when that meaningful opportunity comes, I'm going to go there with the intention of capitalizing on it to its fullest. Mm -hmm. How did you know how to make these changes? It was just intuition that was saying this is how you make a business more streamlined? Um, At that point, it was a lot of introspection. And it's also the start of when I started searching out different hacks and books on becoming really efficient and um, really taking that to heart and really, really trying to make sure I was using my time as effectively as possible. It was also just a scarcity of time dilemma, too, at this point. I had to Mm -hmm. because I couldn't just do one. I wanted to do both, Mm -hmm. you know, both my business and watching our child at that Mm -hmm. time. So it was like, gosh, you really have to figure this out or it's just not going to happen. So I think when you have that kind of fire lit under you. Right, exactly. It Mm -hmm. motivates you to figure out some serious problems Mm -hmm. or solutions to problems. And you were... Still working naps, nights, and weekends. Yeah, those were were my business hours. uh Uh-huh. On business cards. Mm -hmm. You were just finding ways to be more productive and efficient within those hours, but the hours themselves weren't changing. Do you think you were working 40 hours when you were- No, I couldn't have been at that point. You were working less. Yeah. I was using my time in such a way that I was getting more done in less time than I ever was when I was working 80 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you saying that kind of in the beginning of all of this, that you can get done in two hours, but someone gets done in eight hours. Right. And it was just, you know, before I didn't really have to think about it because it was just like, oh, I've got all day to do this. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I have 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, what can I do successfully in 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. And gradually over time, I've been able to really create a flow of my energy and my intensity level and pair that with the tasks of the day Mm -hmm. in a very fluid way that just makes everything efficient and streamlined and everything else Mm -hmm. like i'm not a morning person so i do all my packing in the morning because Mm -hmm. it's kind of somewhat mindless but it gives me like a quiet beginning to kind of get into the flow of the day and it also gives me the space to just kind of have some quiet and peace and think about what exactly I need to get done. And then I always try to follow that up with something, you know, after doing something partially mindless or whatever, mm-hmm. doing something really active after that. Mm-hmm. Like once I've warmed up, I want to do something really stimulating. Mm-hmm. So then I'll probably, you know, do my do re- research on, you know, some interesting things that I've got that I'm working on. And it's just like trying to balance all that out throughout the day. Yeah. And you, I think, have been super successful with that. There definitely have been some books and other resources that you've used. But I think it's been just, you know, as most things are, a conglomeration of all these little tips. Or would you say there has been one resource that's really guided you more so than others? Um, A Peak Performance is probably like a really like necessary book to read. If you're facing the issues you face, yeah. Or- well, if you, even if it's like if you just want to learn about how to be efficient and also like efficient in a way that is sustainable, there's such a great amalgamation of all this other wealth of information they put together that it's like a great first step into looking into all this. 
So it's a book that tells you other books to read? Well, it's not really a book about other books, but it's just like they reference all these other books okay. and what they're saying. So it's just like, for me, it was just like, ooh, I'm going to read that book next, and I'm going to read that book next, uh-huh. and I'm going to read that book next. I see. Yes, you. Kevin's told me to read this book um, at a different stage in my life, and it just didn't quite fit with what I needed, and it, I just didn't really think that it spoke to me. So I didn't read it through. But since this book has come back up, really since we've been talking about this podcast episode, it's on my queue to read now Mm -hmm. and just see what it means for me now. Yeah, I don't remember the author's names, but maybe you can pop the book in the show notes too. Yeah. Would you like me to do that? Yeah, see, I'm all podcasty now. Uh I know all the words. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing around this time is I started kind of getting into investing and I would read a lot about that. And just the wisdom of Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett is just invaluable for a business owner. Like, they taught me so much about using my time efficiently and wisely mm-hmm. and, like, not feeling bad about it. Because mm-hmm. that's what – that was the hardest part. It's like you always feel like you should be doing, mm-hmm. like you should be moving. And Especially it's just when like, you're an entrepreneur. Right. Mm-hmm. you got to always be hustling 24-7. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well – I wasn't really getting anything on some of these times. So just, you know, learning how to use your time as wisely as possible was really, really helpful. Yeah. So, you know, if someone were to contact us or have questions, I'm sure Kevin would like to share some of those resources more in depth of what he used, right? Uh, Yeah. You can find me through my wife on Instagram. (laughs) Through this podcast yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, that's the other thing through all this is like becoming indistractable mm-hmm. is something that yes. was really, really valuable too. Mm-hmm. When you have a finite amount of time to work, staying laser focused is just so, so important. At this point, I'm off Facebook. I don't play fantasy sports anymore. I don't really follow a lot of the news as closely. For me, it's just like I'm going to get as much accomplished as possible and then reward myself by doing more meaningful things, mm-hmm. which at that point becomes like, gosh, if I get all this done before the kids get home from school, I don't have to do anything for the rest of the day. Yeah. When um, the quarantine hit, Kevin and I both work part time, although I don't know we ever use the language that you work part time. But when we sat down to reconfigure life in a way that was easier to navigate during quarantine, we realized, oh, Kevin needs about 24 hours of work during the week. Mm -hmm. And that's about how much I work. And so it was really shocking to see what Kevin was able to do in 24 hours, but it was piecemealed throughout the day because he had been coming off of this system that was naps, nights, and weekends. Mm -hmm. And our kids had gotten just a little bit older where there weren't as many naps and there was more free time during the day when maybe our kids were playing well together or, you know, insert whatever they were doing. Now they're going to school some. That's your big work time now. And so we just had to reconfigure things again after all of what Kevin's just shared with you, you know, in May of 2020. And so we know that moving forward, likely your work is going to be reconfigured again. Right. I think you pride yourself on having established a business that is that flexible, that you can constantly look at it and rework it or tweak it in a way to meet the demands of whatever you're asking of it. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's one of the big wow things I think about your work 
that impresses me so much is that, you know, Kevin's always been able to be super flexible. He's always the one to be able to drop his work when the kids are sick or got to take him to the doctors or there's a field trip. He's always I seem been... to always be the one who's available <laughs> to take them to the doctors. <laughs> that is not true. I mean, it's just been completely invaluable in our relationship. And I think this career that you have is what allows for that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very obvious. So we're basically trying to now, I think, harness that power of your career and sort of launch it into the next phase of this dream life. Would you agree? Everything has just been a constant evolution. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see what I'm doing now, or at least how I'm doing it now, changing, at least in the near future. Mm-hmm. But I certainly don't think that my career as it is right now has a super long lifespan. I Be- think Not because of anything you're doing or we're doing, but you've said many times that you don't foresee the next generation, which, you know, are the people who are 40 years old right now when they're 60 years old buying the antiques that you're able to sell. Right. And certainly not in a way that would be able to support my career as it is right now. Like, I just don't see younger people today just caring to the extent that this older, especially the baby boomer generation really prides these sorts of material possessions. Yeah. So a launch of your career is basically an evolution towards what it's going to look like in 15 years when people aren't buying the antiques you're selling now. What are you doing along the next 15 years to be able to, you know, still make a living? And what kind of living are you wanting to make? Right. So I would say really seriously in the last three years, I kind of changed my business philosophy in like not growing my business, but extracting money from the business. Mm -hmm. I sell the past to invest in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's really where I've spent a lot of energy lately. I've been really, really excited and interested in what our children's future is going to look like. And I've kind of been spending a lot of energy and the surplus capital to invest in companies that I think are creating a really bright future for our kids. And that's kind of where I've been carrying the business over for right now, at least to give me some stability in the future. So to prepare for the fact that in 15 years, you might not have the antique business, but the antique business is funding right now potential investments that are going to be your future. Right. And also preparing for whatever else is going to come because we love evolution and growth. Yeah. I mean, honestly, 15 years from now, I'm not even going to pretend mm-hmm. to know what I'm going to be doing because mm-hmm. I have no idea. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what we want. Kind of exciting. Yeah. Super exciting. Right. That sounds like my best mm-hmm. live life. I just know that it's so much easier when you're there if it's not a struggle. And that's kind of why I've been trying to pivot to investing right now. Mm-hmm. Because if I can have that comfort to, you know, be able to reinvent myself and take a risk and everything else and have that support, it's just going to be so much easier and enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, you're passionate about antiques and you're passionate about the way in which you're finding these investments Mm -hmm. and the investments that you choose to support. They've really been supporting what you think is important and your values. Mm -hmm. You've been able to find that happy balance. Yeah. And I also learned just through starting all this is like, I never really, my passion was never in antiques and I didn't really have the support to, well, I, I, I'm really interested in that, but what I was really, really passionate about was research. Yes. Okay, and I didn't that. ever mm-hmm. know, just like the only opportunity I had as a child to do real research mm-hmm. was in antiques. Mm-hmm. Could have been a very lucrative career in science or something, uh-huh. but I just, those doors never opened themselves to me. Uh-huh. 
And now that I started investing, it's just like, wow, what I really love is doing deep dive research into these companies in the same exact way that I've been dealing in antiques. Yeah. So I'll be doing something in research probably. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you have come to that very simple conclusion of what brings you joy. And now you can apply that simple fact to what you're looking for in the future. Yeah. What I loved about antiques is it would give me that serendipitous opportunity to learn something new every single day. And this research and investing has given me that same exact feeling Mm -hmm. and opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm excited about finding another one. Yeah, me too. I like hearing about your journey. Hopefully you did as well. Not you, Kevin, but yeah, I'm already snoring in the background. (laughs) Well, I think that brings us to the future and the evolution of your career as we wanted to share on this podcast. So we're going to go about the rest of our date night. Our oldest son has interrupted this podcast several times. He's having trouble (laughs) falling asleep. So we're going to walk out this door and see if he's in bed yet. Um, And then we're going to have some us time and get to bed so that we can do it all again tomorrow. Can't wait. (laughs) Can't wait. If you all enjoyed this episode, we hope you join us in two weeks for our next one which is when I get to share my career and my journey. I am super excited to reveal what I do for a living. I truly think it's a hidden gem career in medicine. So you should definitely check it out. If anyone you love is thinking about a career in medicine or maybe you're looking to make a meaningful career transition, I'm going to spill the beans. So check it out in two weeks on Thursday. If you love this episode, please subscribe, rate, review if you're so inclined, wherever you're listening. Doing that helps more growth-minded people find the show and gives us insights into how we can best share our journey. And finally, a big thank you to one of my very best friends, Jillian, who answered our call to action in the last episode and was the first direct message. We love you and we love your support. We can't wait to hear from more of you. Thanks for listening. Oh, I didn't think of a new tagline yet. Uh, Toodles, poodles. No, that's worse. Oh, okay. Ever onward. Oh, God.